Okay. Is it working? Yeah, it's on. All right. It looks like it's recording, yeah. Something that um, I'm really, really interested in hearing from your perspective is, because obviously gymnastics is a, an early specialization sport, right? Right. Are you full-blown into that, or do you like gymnasts from an early age trying multiple things and then coming into it at a later stage? Like, what is it on your perspective coming from through the sport, right? Perfect. Uh, this is a great question. It has a lot to do with um, what I'm looking at and what I'm looking at doing now. Um, I started very late as a gymnast. My formal training started at 11, right, which is considered very late for the sport. Um, and so I have that perspective. Um, there's a few hiccups with that. And then there's a few benefits to it. The biggest example I see or that I've seen some solid research on is actually baseball pitchers and their shoulders. The earlier they specialize in something like pitching is the shorter their pitching career and their shoulders are, right? Wow. And so those pitchers that do multiple sports or don't specialize as a pitcher, even in baseball until later, tend to be the ones that have the, the college and the professional careers that last longer. And with that in mind, even if it doesn't directly relate to all sports, it does to most sports. So the sooner you specialize is the potential, the, the higher rates of burnout, physical injury, overuse injury, especially, which is pretty common in a, in a sport like gymnastics. And so I'm a huge fan of, even if the kid is five, six, seven, eight years old and starting in gymnastics, both them and their family is supporting them. I want to give them more of an athletic based training regime than a gymnastics based training regime. Right. Mm. And so I want to see these kids play soccer or tennis or whatever else has an interest in them. And if that means they miss half of their training days in their younger years, I'm very okay with that. Most people don't agree with that. Uh, most people in this sport don't agree with that. I'm a big fan of that. Um, when it comes to like female gymnastics, a lot of the crossover can be in something like dance. And so when we've had kids that are say dance or music inclined, it's like go miss practice twice a week to go to dance class because it's only going to help the choreography in your beam and floor routines. Amazing. Go do it. The facility I'm at now recognizes some of that and they also have some leadership in the different departments. So this facility is gymnastics, American Ninja Warrior, music and dance. And it's wow. two buildings with a courtyard between them. And so you can literally have one kid next door and here our kids go over and do dance twice a week. So this goes to what you're asking, it, it spreads the specialization out. I look at general strength and conditioning protocols and I try and balance what the kids are doing in their strength and conditioning for both gymnastics and to be general athletes, right? So if I can do that, I minimize some of that early specialization and the negatives that come with it while still maximizing the extra time that you have for gymnastics specific skill development. So I'm a big fan of diversifying and letting these kids do multiple sports. Um, and it's kind of like when they're ready to specialize, they can, and then I will try and internally mitigate some of the the overuse and the burnout that comes with early specialization is that your main sort of main reason why is it to to mitigate the the injury or is it to develop like a load of wide range of of skills both yeah so yeah because if i if i have like gymnasts are notoriously bad runners just think about <laughs> 
somebody running down the vault runway for like 75 feet and you're like your track coach would hit you on the head if you ran like that like yeah, just yeah. you know who runs with straight arms like down at their side you know what i mean gymnasts do it, right it's like how much power are you missing by not running properly so if we can teach these kids to run properly one they run properly great life skill wonderful and then we can maximize what their gymnastics performance is going to be as well the reality in most sports is most of the kids most of the youth are never going to do these sports in college they're never going to do these sports professionally so why are we trying to specialize these kids as you know a gymnast at age 12 and sacrificing their backs or their elbows or their ankles when we need to really just train them as athletes, which will help them be healthier gymnasts and it'll help them in the rest of their lives better as well. I'm so glad you said that because I've literally had an argument with, with the head of uh, head of the swimming department in that in the club I was, I was talking to you about being uh, the head as a head and strength and conditioning coach. Um, yeah, it's basically like, look, we need, X, X, Y, Z for them to be better in the pool. I'm like, great, but you take a fish out of water and put them on land, they're probably going to die, right? These people yeah. are great in the pool and you take them out and they're so brittle. So we need to kind of fix them up to, to be better human beings and they will be better in the pool, I guarantee you. Like a stronger athlete's going to gonna transfer yeah. over, right? Fitness goes up, strength goes up. It, it's only going to yeah. benefit you. But at the same time, you don't, I'm like, look, if they go down the stairs and they turn a corner and they tear the LCL or their back pops <laughs> out. Good are they in the pool? Exactly. Yeah. They're screwed. Like they're, you know, and they're missing these vital years. And again, it's an early specialization spot. So I use the comparison, right? And, you know, coaches, I'm not, I'm not sure what it is like in gymnastics, but on the swimming uh, realm, it's the very, very old school. Yeah. They don't want to give up any of their time. Like if you, if you have an athlete that has 10 hours a week at a certain age, yep. you know, they want 9.5 of those hours for their specific agenda. Whereas I see it more as give me like maybe six or seven. And, and you know what, I'm playing with these numbers as well too. Like mm. during the off season, I want to push it closer to 25 to 50% as general strength, conditioning, flexibility, athletic performance, and give me 50% of the time for skill specific gymnastics work. And then when it comes into competitive season, I'm going, you know, 90% skill and competitive routines and, you know, five, 10, maybe 20% general strength and conditioning maintenance from all the stuff you just did during the summer, just to maintain that general movement and hopefully general health so that I can peak them during their season and then flip it back the other way. Mm. How much of it is strength development and how much of it is skill development within gymnastics? Cause you look at it from an so outsider, go, right? Yeah, and they go, they go so hand in hand, right? Yeah. So you, you mentioned proprioception before, and that is probably one of the biggest hurdles with mm. um, gymnasts. And it, it's one of these things, like you start adding things like going upside down, like you get normal people right side up and you tell them to hold their arm out at say 45 degrees or something. And you have to like, Put their arm there get them like okay that's where it is yep that's where you want it great now imagine turning your body upside down and doing that you know adding giant speed on on a swinging bar and it just takes forever to do this but you can't even start manipulating those positions and shapes if you don't have the strength to do it mm. so it's it's just this huge mix of of strength and conditioning in the skill work that directly applies 
And so it's got to be pretty balanced. Yeah, it's crazy. Like you look, you look at it from an outsider, right? And you're just like the strength you need to do that. Never mind the skill. We take the skill off the table. Right. Just the strength. <laughs> you're like, what the hell are these people doing? And then yeah. you add in the skill and then you add in the proprioception and then the high velocity. You're like, what is going on? What's happening? Yeah. Like, it's uh, so interesting though. I mean, uh, like in the pool, so diving will come close to some of that stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, it's interesting in a sport like baseball, softball, um, you hear stories about once someone's been playing long enough and they watch even a fastball, they can see the stitching move because they've just been doing it for so long. They're so dialed into it. Right. And the same thing will happen in, in each of these sports. Like you'll, you're, maybe your arm position in, in swimming, maybe your chest position in gymnastics. Mm. Like when you start your ability to control it is like, it's either like here or there. And then as you get better at a skill, the ability and the consistency and the control, the movement becomes like tiny, tiny differences. Right. Mm. And that's just what you're training over those years. And that kind of finite muscle control just takes so many years to do, but it, it's still that very interesting range of strength and flexibility. And I know like swimmers, gymnasts, and I think it's baseball pitchers again, have similar shoulder issues, right? Yep. So you want, you want this full range of motion, but if all you do is have this full range of motion and you don't have strength in that range, you're going to end up with injuries. You're going to end up with the wear and tear stuff sooner. And so you've got to make sure and find that balance as well, too. And that's one of those big ones. You'll find these kids that excel in a sport like gymnastics early either tend to be fairly strong or tend to be fairly flexible. And then if they haven't been balanced out by the time they're a mid-level athlete, you start to run into more and more of these issues. So you, you really got to do your best bet. to. And, and this is where some of the coaching and the, the strength and training stuff becomes um, more complex is that if you give me a group of 10 kids, I might be able to train five or six or seven of them almost the exact same way with the exact same strength and general strength and conditioning, the exact same drills and skills. And what about the two or three that are really flexible and not strong? And what about the two or three that are on the other end that are really strong and have no flexibility? If I treat all 10 of those the same, those outliers are not going to get the same progress. But if I treat them specialized with what they need, they might actually be the best performers compared to the middle of the pack, which if you treat them all the same, the middle of the pack is going to end up being the best performers, you know? Yeah. It's, it's that age old, like um, age old way of thinking though, in it with the coaches and they're just, I'm going to throw everything I can at them. Whoever breaks, breaks, they leave, whatever, you know, and then the, I call that I call that this the, like the Soviet or the Chinese or yeah. the communist system, right? If you've got a million athletes waiting at the door, you can just overtrain all of them, and yeah. you will get survival of the fittest, and they will be good. Yeah. <laughs> they will be very good. But if you're in a, you know, a first world country where you know the parents are paying five hundred quid a month yeah, to train yeah. your kid, they don't want you breaking the kid in two years. Yeah. 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 <laughs> hundred percent because they invested a lot of time, yeah. money and energy into it. Um, yeah. And what, what's the, what's the uh, expectation like on a young gymnast in terms of training? Uh, like training hours and days. Yeah. Yeah. So by the time the, the kids, so this is a really interesting one again, and the facility we're at, we've essentially capped it at around 20 hours. And we have kids from as young as, say, 10 or 11 at that, all the way up to our 16, 17-year-olds, if you will. Um, 
And most facilities in that age group and competitive group, even in this city that we're in here in Houston, will have their kids in 25 to 35 hours of training. And so we are, we are attempting to be more strategic and smarter about the training. Say you're in a group of 12 kids and training 30 hours a week. If we drop that group down to eight kids, can we drop the hours down to 20 or 25? Because you'll get as many turns and as much coaching attention. And at the end of the day, get the same results with a fraction of the training time. That's what we're, we're hoping to do. We have like at the club level with gymnastics, like this might be more normal at college, but we have um, our PT people coming in two or three times a year to do screenings, right? And so they're preventative screenings. And then when we have injuries, they go to the same people and, and we, we coordinate with them on training protocols. Like this kid needs more of the strength. This kid needs more of the flexibility. Keep this kid off of hard tumbling for the next two weeks so that their ankles can heal the way we want to, you know? And so if we can be smarter as a whole, can we keep the 20 hours and still produce similar or maybe even better results? Because if these kids aren't overtrained, if they're not physically or mentally burnt out from 30 hours of training, instead only 20, is their home school gymnastics life balanced better, which means they're in a better place to perform better possibly is that like just sheer hours into them or is it a specific number of turns they need to be able to do before the week is done type of stuff so i will usually put numbers on specific assignments um but we we break it up with the hours the available time and then try and maximize it right i think other programs may do it the other way around it's like okay we want 20 turns of x and over time, that has turned into 30 hours of training, right? Because if these programs started, some of these gyms have been around for 20 or 30 years, right? And so maybe they used to train five hours a week and they were like, everybody's getting better. We have to take twice as many turns. And then that turns into 10 hours of training and that turns into 20 hours of training and that turns into 30 hours of training. And then you end up with survival of the fittest and the ones that can take all of that training do end up the best. And this then becomes the norm. And this is sort of interesting. One of the talks um, in the re recent couple of years with gymnasts and that old, like small, tiny gymnast, like stereotype that's there. One of the theories that's out there is it's not necessarily just a tiny gymnast. That's a good gymnast, but a tiny gymnast is easy for a coach to spot and put mm -hmm. through the positions they need to, which means those kids can excel sooner. Those kids get, more training, better training, younger, right? Maybe those same coaches are like, well, I can't spot that kid that's five foot seven and 150 pounds. So I'm not even gonna let him on the team. That doesn't mean they couldn't be a good gymnast, right? It just means they haven't because they've been weeded out of the system for different reasons, right? And now you're seeing like, you go to, to some of these meets where the kids are like 16, 17, I'm five foot four, 150 to 160 pounds of muscle. And most of the girls at these competitions are bigger than me. Like they're two or three inches taller than me. They've got similar build to me or bigger legs than me because women's gymnastics is more leg dominant, right? So where is this, you know, four foot 10, 85 pound gymnast that's supposedly the best, right? They're, they're not anymore. The amount of 
tumbling and, and vaulting loads and pressures that their bodies have to take can't be withheld by an 85 pound frame anymore. These kids need to have muscle. They need to be strong, right? Now, Simone Biles is a tiny athlete, but she's jacked, right? She's yeah. so strong. She's one of the best athletes in the world. Well, that frame on, you know, five foot two, five foot four, five foot six still works pretty well. And you see more and more of these kids that are like that. And so I think that that evolution of, of gymnastics, the training hours, the, the training mentality is shifting and is changing. And it will be interesting to see what happens in the next five or 10 years, especially in a country like U.S. that is dominating women's gymnastics and has been for multiple quadriniums, like, are you going to see more and more of these athletes that look like fully developed, powerful, strong athletes, not these like petite women of the past, mm. you know, and you're seeing more and more of them. You're seeing more and more of them in college. And, and it's, it's a nice, it's a nice change because with the, the old training mentalities, um, you know, there was a lot of health issues that came with those, you know, the, the under eating, the overtraining, and, and the complexities that come with that. So it's nice to see that it's becoming slightly more and more normal to see that change over the years. hundred percent. Like there's like, it's, it's really nice to see the evolution of the, of the spot. Right. And be like, okay, cool. This is where the spot kind of needs to go to progress the level of complexity of the skills. And then also you take it completely out of a spot context and you put it in of like, Oh, I'm an outsider just looking at the Olympics. Right. And say, for example, I'm a lady and you're, you're a little bit self-conscious of the way you look, blah, blah, blah. Right. You're no longer looking at a 95-pound lady on on the uh, on the screen just being idealized, just like, oh, yeah. I need to lose literally half my body mass. You're looking at a lady that clearly trains, absolutely jacked, but is able to do all this incredible stuff with a body that people didn't even think was possible, right? And now they're like, wow, like now maybe it's – it's more um, more commendable to be able to do things with the body and kind of accepting whatever whatever way it comes out because obviously genetics plays a factor, right? So we could train sure. exactly the same and look completely different. We'll look different, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that's nice too. And I think like the the amount of publicity that say college women's gymnastics is getting at the moment is is a really nice one because you're still seeing that mix of of some of the, the leaner athletes that are doing well and some of the more muscular athletes that are doing well and they're all doing really well, mm. you know? And, and you look at the gymnasts that, and the skills are performing in college now and you look at Olympic routines from 20 to 30 years ago and these college gymnasts now are considerably better than the Olympic routines were 20 and 30 years ago, right? Mm. That says something, that says a lot to me, you know? And, and like you said, if the public perception of that and some of the body issues that sometimes come about, especially for women can be mitigated with things like this. That's amazing. Mm. It's so, it's so crazy. Like the comparison between gymnastics and, and swimming, basically exactly. It's exactly the same. Like um, the old school mentality is don't wait train. You get stiff, you get too heavy. You know, you're yeah. going to be slow. You cut your your catch and your receive is going to be mitigated and all that type of stuff, right? Yeah. Then Adam Peaty comes in. He was late into um into performing in swimming. Like I think he only made his first regionals at like 16, which is right. absolutely crazy. Crazy late, yeah. And he's a bit of a stockier bloke because obviously he trains in the in the weight room and smashes world records. 
and then smashes yeah. his own world record. And everyone's like, wait, hold on. He's like double the width and double the thickness of everyone else. What's going on? It doesn't make any sense. He must weigh yeah. more. This, you know, doesn't, this, this shouldn't happen. And the next thing you know, he just absolutely powers through the water. Um, and I find it fascinating how sports end up go through that evolution cycle, right? Just like we do as human beings. Sure. Because we're yeah. just figuring out, hey, how do we get better at this thing? We're going to try this. It worked, kind of. And then yeah. another nation tried something else. And then another nation tried something else. And we're like, oh, we'll you get a few few anomalies or a few outliers here and there. Yeah. And you're like, okay, is that an outlier? Or is that actually a decent training philosophy to work on? You know, mm -hmm. And so that gets explored. And the more people that are doing it, you know, and like I was saying in the U.S., the, the sport is so popular, it's very accepted for women to do gymnastics in, in the U.S. And so you just have massive amounts of, of data going on. And that's why it'll be so interesting to see how it goes, because some of these sports, you, you get even the same sport like gymnastics and men's gymnastics that I'm involved in, the, the social norms with men's gymnastics are absolutely not the same as they are with women's gymnastics in the U.S., you then take the social norms with men's gymnastics and women's gymnastics in Europe. They seem to be a bit more balanced from my understanding. And then you take them in a, a you know, some of the, the, the China or the Russia and like some of those countries, male gymnasts are considered one of the most important sports or highly regarded athletes in some of those cultures, you know, and it, it's completely different and you get totally different data pools and training philosophies that come out of it because of it. Mm. So It'll, it's, it looks like more and more sports are just going towards the generally healthier side of strength and conditioning training rather than extremely sports specific stuff, which is pretty interesting. I think so, because the more, the, the more you neglect the, the athlete and the body, right, and you just beat the living shit out of it, the more external aid you're going to need for it to, to stay alive, right? Right. So if you just take this athlete, really put them through like a malnutrition program, beat the hell out of them, how are they going to stay in one piece? Well, they, they might need a little bit of aid to do that. And yeah. obviously, you know, PEDs is, is illegal in most sports, especially, well, it's all in the Olympics, right? Which don't yeah. get me started on the whole IWF and weightlifting. Um, <laughs> it's one of the oldest sports. It's one of the greatest sports, in my opinion, yet... We don't shoot each other in the foot. We shoot each other in the face. It's ridiculous. It's like just, oh, never mind. I'm going to go down that rabbit hole <laughs> in a tangent. Um, but now it's kind of like, okay, cool. Like, isn't necessarily a necessity. Um, and also people are peaking at later ages. You know, you don't have to go the Olympics at 17. You know, you can go the Olympics at 30. Yeah. 35 you know like yeah. people are peaking a little bit later and developing so much more skill earlier in different things like you said getting into getting into those spots a little bit later on um and i think that's what's helping you know coaches nations individuals just think oh okay i'm gonna look after myself a little bit more and maybe maybe i get like two chances at this rather than half a chance just the one yeah one. exactly yeah yeah what do you think with the whole gymnastics and weightlifting in terms of training gymnastics for weightlifting? Bit of a controversial uh, question. You, 
What do you think? You mean like having one of my gymnasts do versions of weightlifting as part of their training? All the way around. Having uh, weightlifters do gymnastics? Yeah. Interesting. I hadn't thought of it much from that standpoint. I know in the CrossFit space, um, I work closely with a lot of high-level gymnastics coaches that are in the CrossFit space, and I work closely with a lot of high-level weightlifters Mm. that are in that CrossFit space as well, too. And they all do really well back and forth, Mm. right? So the weightlifters, once they're taught proper gymnastics technique and skills, they have range of motion in most places. They definitely have strength. They do really well, especially at the fundamental and basic gymnastics stuff. Mm. So I've never really thought of it from a long-term development standpoint, but I don't see it as being an issue. Their proprioception would surely benefit from it. Right. I I know all the high level weightlifters I know are as or more flexible than most of the gymnasts. They are as or stronger than most of the gymnasts. As much as gymnasts are strong and flexible, the weightlifters have a more specialized skill set that they do. But I I know Chad Vaughn's a two time U.S. uh, Olympic weightlifter, and he always mentions when he coached gymnasts, high level gymnasts for the first time in their weightlifting movements, normally he would overcoach, right? So he would cue somebody past the point he wanted them to, because they would almost never go to that point. And he would get the middle point he was actually looking for. And when he started coaching gymnasts, he couldn't do that anymore. Because if he coached them all the way to the left, they'd go all the way to the left. Yeah. Right. And so he had to be more precise with them. So I could see it being very beneficial. I do know um, my ex-wife, a uh, very high level gymnast who got into weight. She got into CrossFit a little bit with me and hated CrossFit, but loved the weightlifting side of it. And she went pretty far with that. And the president of the U S weightlifting association asked her directly, how can I recruit retire, retired gymnasts to be weightlifters? Wow. So like if a kid is 16 and kind of done with gymnastics and maybe just an okay gymnast, like they make a prime candidate for that later start in weightlifting. They, they already know how to move their body. Their proprioception is pretty good. Their flexibility pretty good. They know how to be coached because they, a 16 year old gymnast may have just been coached for the last 10 years. Mm. Right. So you put them in the hands of, uh, any other sport with a good coach, chances are they'll do really well at it. So. And they also have that discipline, right. That they, that they need through, through sports that's developed through sports right and the, and the hard work that goes with it and they know they're going to need to get up at silly o'clock in the morning they know yeah. they're going to have to eat right because they'll feel better they know yeah, they need to better. they do this because performance you know if you want this you might need to do this that you don't want to do you know they know all that and that's second nature it's a lot yeah. harder to teach that to an adult than it is a kid yeah imagine taking a same 16 year old kid that hasn't done much sport that's just hanging out with their friends after they've done their studies and trying to get them to be a disciplined weightlifter, for example. Yeah. Very hard thing to do. Oh, Alex, I'm not coming to the gym today. Wow, what's going on? Are you okay? Like, is this shit really gone down? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, it's just I'm sore. I'm like, sorry? You're sore, so you're not coming to the gym? Oh, yeah. no. Don't feel like on. it. Yeah, I don't feel like it. I'm not 100%. <laughs> Oh, what are you feeling? You're like 10%? Like, what's going on? You all right? <laughs> no, I'm about 95%. You know, you're like, 95? I would take that on any day. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Perfect. Best training day ever. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is... And then you also have the the social issues that come with 
being a 16-year-old too, right? And again, like we said, they said earlier, trying to figure out who you are. Um, that is, it's really, really hard to push at that age, push them into spot. It's easier just get them into spot early. Younger, yeah, and get used to it. And then they get to decide as they get older how serious they want to be about it, you know. Mm. Does this person just like playing football and, you know, meet up with their buddies a couple times a week and stay active and healthy? Awesome. Do they love it so much that they'd want to run around the field five days a week? Great. Those, mm. those will be the competitive ones, you know. And mm. you don't really have to convince them or teach them as much because they've already had those opportunities and, and that at least part of the life cycle as, as they're, you know, going through their years and growing up. And I think part of figuring out who they are come from sport and it'll come faster than, you know, if, if you have a kid that has just been pushing one thing, whether that be academics or a certain sport for 10 years, they have no idea who they are. You know what I mean? Like if that kid has done three different sports, especially very, very different sports in itself, like what if they've done motocross and football and, and you know, shotguns or whatever it is, you know what I mean? They do three different sports. They make A's or B's in school. That kid is probably more well-rounded and has a better idea of what they want to do, whether it be college, job, sports, et cetera. Mm. Especially if they chose those spots, right? Rather than being pushed right. into it. Because they yeah. they can dissect what feeling and emotions going on. They're like, ah, oh, maybe maybe this means that I'm not necessarily enjoying what I'm doing to the max. Maybe I'll go try something else. Maybe I'll go yeah. back to the first one because I, you know, uh, diagnosed the emotion wrong or whatever. But if you just force yeah. into things, you get to you get to a college age. It's like, okay, do what you want. You're like, um, I don't really know really? what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And then you that's, even get that's like, funny too. I always like the, the parent aspect of that too, is like, you know, if you, if you have the means to let your kid do three, four, five sports, let them try it, you know? Yeah. And if not like, okay, you got to like really debate that. Do I spend a grand on golf clubs for this kid to try golf? Like eh, not so much, you know what I mean? You pay for swim lessons or soccer practice and they decide they don't like it after a session that's not a big deal. That gives the kid the opportunity to try these things out. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to, you know, mortgage your house to, to buy them a set of kit and you're good to go, but let them try six of these different sports in, in elementary school and middle school and at the YMCA or whatever the equivalent is where, you know, in the different countries and let them feel them out. They'll, they'll probably be pretty vocal about which ones they like and don't like, you know? It's really hard to find those um, institutes that provide those spots, though, right? Because a lot of the funding trickles down from the Olympics and the World Championships. And if it's yeah. uh, if it's a sport that, you know, hasn't got a lot of participation, you know, the opportunity and the probability of you winning medals at, at those events uh, is obviously lower. Yeah. Um, and it, especially if it's like completely left wing and you're like, you want to do ultimate slalom or something in the, in the UK, you're like, well, where are you going to go? Like you're living in an urban, yeah. urban jungle. Like, right. you know, it's, uh, you're it's, making bobsled team style, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doesn't happen very often. That's fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. Kill Runnings. What a movie. What a great flick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's true though. Cause like, and then everything goes on that quad. Right. And then whatever happens, 
athletes perform amazing, but then miss out on a medal or, right. you know, they might not have the, the best of whatever, whatever, whatever happens. And yeah. the governing body looks at it as a complete stranger, probably never done the sport before in their lives. They look at it and be like, what, you didn't win all gold? Oh, okay, we're going to uh, strip your funding. It's like, sorry, what? It doesn't make any sense. It takes 20 years to, to develop, you know, from a ground up a sport to do reasonable, forget medals, you know? Yeah. Like look at, yeah. look at their progress. Like they did something that was a personal record for them on a world stage every four years, like Olympics, yeah. like the history of that thing goes way back. And you're like, they've managed to PR with that pressure on them. Come on. Like yeah. you have to, you have to back that up. Or even yeah. just 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 having the opportunity to get there, you know what I mean? That's crazy. Yeah, it's absolutely mental. You are part of history, etched in the history books of this basically eternal games created to to make like these just absolute wicked human beings that would be our modern day Avengers. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, shit's hit the fan. Elon Musk is. Uh, you know, set up on Mars. We figured out there's a couple, a couple of islands on Mars. We're going to get all the Olympians. We're going <laughs> to ship you over. Go sort it out, all right? Go save us. Yeah. Give, give you some tech to work with and yeah. have fun. <laughs> it basically is the modern-day Tony Stark, though. It's, it's, it's incredible to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even someone who's been at a high level in sport, I can watch sports that, like, I, I – don't even have a personal interest in. And I watch the high level performance of them still in awe. I watch the sport that I'm in that I've coached in and I still, I still go, how the fuck can they do that? You know, it's, it's pretty impressive. I think, I think if you've, if you've sacrificed to get to a place where you wanted to go, right. Even if you missed the, missed the mark, you didn't, you, you, you failed. Okay. Um, you have a deep appreciation for everyone else that is either on mm. the pursuit has has done it or has has missed the mark too. Like I'm exactly the same. I watch netball, right, and it really doesn't phase me. Like it's not it's not my sport, blah blah blah. But I will watch any sport on the telly. Put a sport on the telly, and I will love it. And I watch netball, and I'll be like, right. I appreciate the shit out of the hard work you've had to do to get yourself yeah. on that court. Like I don't care that, for the spot, like, but that yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agreed. And I actually, that was one of my biggest like awe moments. I was sitting in, in like on the golf court car, like the golf cart transportation deal around the Olympic village in 96 in Atlanta. Cause it was like the, the school dorms and then the mess hall. And then they take you out to where the buses take you out to your events. And it was an early morning. Everything was quiet. There's a few athletes like moving around, walking around, starting warming up, that kind of stuff. And I just kind of sat there and I looked and I was like, there's hundreds and hundreds of athletes here that have been through who knows what, as far as like family struggles and injuries and political struggles from all of these different countries and all of these different sports. And all of them have some amazing stories to tell. And I just, I'm lucky to be around hundreds of these athletes that are just incredible. And it was, it was definitely one of those moments that I was like, 
holy shit, this is, this is something I'll remember for the rest of my life. And it wasn't like, I remember lots of stuff from, from competing and, and, you know, my journey to get there and all of that. But I just remember that was one of the more prominent moments and thoughts that, that I had from all of my experiences. Mm. And I bet like, um, it kind of tips the hat to you too, right? There'd have been so many times in your career where you'd be like, other people and outsiders would look at you and be like, why are you doing that? What, what are you doing? Like, come on, it's only a, it's only a beer or it's only one night or whatever. It's like, I got to go sleep. It's like, right. why? Like you can, you can miss out on an hour of sleep. It's like, yeah, but then I feel shit tomorrow and I've got a three hour training session. Right. Or, yeah. you know, no, I can't, I've got to eat or stretch or, you know, whatever it is. And you get to that position where you are around those people that are your people, right? They've done exactly the same as you to yeah. get there um and you're just like oh, you know what okay yeah i'm not the only one i'm not the only one who's crazy it was clearly paid <laughs> off because you went to the olympics which is absolutely mental and was just like all right yeah, yeah this is kind of cool yeah it is and it's nice i actually think you know that different athletes of different levels can and maybe should appreciate that as well too yes know? There was, there was one of the competitions I went to, it was state meet, Texas is big in gymnastics. Sure. The kids were level nine and level 10, which is the highest level until they go elite or go to college. And the announcer was like, Hey guys, these are your seniors. It's their last year in high school. They're level 10. They've been in this sport for a while. They've achieved stuff. Most humans can't let's give them a round of applause. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, that was pretty amazing. And it doesn't matter whether they were middle of the pack or they're going on to full college scholarships. And some of those kids were or are, you know, but like, that's just a huge achievement. They've put in some work, they've put in some time, they've made a lot of sacrifices and they deserve some credit for that too. And, and you know, that's point of pride, self-respect. It's, it just says a lot about them as humans. And, and it doesn't necessarily matter what specific level you reach that you've just put a lot of time and effort into something that, that you care about or that was important to you is, is a pretty good life lesson for most of these humans. Oh yeah. And then whenever they're, they're, they're given an assignment or there's a death in the family or, you know, something that you can't necessarily avoid in life and it, it's an incredibly stressful environment to be in and, you know, yeah. things start mentally topping up. They're already built up that resilience. I'm not going to say that, that can take anything on the chin because some things do break you as a human and you have to recoup and, yeah. and go again. Right. Um, but at the same time, you you've got so much more strength to be able to deal with that simply because of sport. Yeah, definitely. Put in the time, put in the work, put in the hours. Yeah. And like you, like you were just saying, the life, the life hits you, you know, on the chin or the injuries that you dealt with in sport and decided to come back from. Yeah. It all plays hand in hand. Mm. What was it like going to the Olympics? Yeah, I, I think that moment on the, you know, the golf cart was one of the big ones. The, you know, being there competing. I do remember another thought I had, like when I was done competing and I went to watch some of the other sessions and some of the finals and stuff. And I, I kind of sat there in like the athlete section of the arena and I looked around and I was just like, holy shit, I'm really glad I didn't register all of this when I was competing. Cause it was just like, it's like thousands of people in a big ass arena. And I was like the realization that I was at the Olympics yeah. kind of hit me 
after I was done competing, but was still there. And it was just like, wow, if this had hit me before, I don't know that I could have handled it. <laughs> mm. so it's just, it's, it's, it's just a crazy. And like, now I'm actually, I'm finding I'm so many years removed from it. It almost seems like it might be someone else's story. Yeah. You know, it's, it's 20 something years ago. And it was like, you were there, you were saluting a judge. You know, I, I remember little stories like the first time I had my hands in the chalk bucket, I'm up on the podium and you're just in a practice session. Right. And like one of the big boom cameras, like where I look over at my coach and I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Why is this camera in my face? And he looks at me and goes, get used to it. I was like, oh shit, okay. This is how it's going to be for the next week. All right, cool. Uh -huh. You know, and you just, you just get all of, of these like snippets of stuff. I was fortunate enough because it was in Atlanta and I had been living in, in Florida and done a lot of my training in Florida. There was volunteers at the Olympics on the gymnastics floor, like running scores and doing stuff that were guys I used to like compete against in gymnastics and people I knew, like they weren't like say my best friends, but I had friends like running around the Olympic floor when I was competing, which is probably maybe one of the reasons why I felt kind of comfortable and wasn't like mm. totally awestruck by it all, you know? And it was like, Hey, that's my buddy. I used to compete against five years and he decided to volunteer and, and, you know, got through on, on the Olympic volunteer staff. It was just, pretty wicked on on all fronts yeah mm. it must be really really alienating for people who are in a country go compete in the olympics in a country that doesn't speak their language or they don't speak the native language of the place right because you sat there and like it's either you know whatever they're speaking right and you're just like i have no idea what they're saying i have no idea what's going on there's so many people here there's a million and one cameras and i'm supposed to like do the best performance of my life it's yeah. like that must be pretty strange. Yeah, that must be crazy. Yeah. Now, I've been to a couple countries, um, and most of the time when I was competing in the other countries, that their native language is not English, or you know, some countries a lot of people also speak English now. Um, mm -hmm. But you usually had a translator, and that helps a lot, you know. And if if your translator is is, and most of those people that volunteer for those translating jobs are pretty good about it, you know. Mm. Like, what do you need? How can I help you? How do I make you more comfortable? I'll be like, I don't know what's going on. Everything's so strange, you know what I mean? They're they're pretty good about that stuff, and and it's nice. Like a lot of the events, the the hospitality essentially is good, you know, mm. because by the time someone volunteers for something like a World Championships or an Olympics. They're probably there because they just want to help and, and be a part of it however they can. So hopefully most of those people in most of those bigger situations don't feel as alienated as they might otherwise. Yeah. And like you said, like a lot of the volunteers would be part of that sport or part of a sport anyway. So they know what it's like, even if it's, yeah. you know, granted it might be on a smaller scale, but they know what it's like, right? They know what the nerves will feel like. They know what yeah. the alienation might feel like and, and all that, it's just now ramped up. They're like, okay, cool. Whatever I felt on a regional national scale, then I'm now going to uh, help this athlete out because they've got the Olympics, which is, you know, the epitome. It's like when worlds <laughs> collide, right? That's it, man. Wow. Is it. You know, uh, something I learned the other day, it's called a marathon because someone uh, ran from the city of Marathon. Yeah, the 26.2 miles to deliver a message, I think it was. Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. Never knew that. I was like, what? What? Yeah. The, the more you know. 
That was the original. Yeah, and I mean, never again. <laughs> I don't I don't know. A buddy of mine, an old teammate of mine, runs like a, a half marathon every year, and he's like, are you going to do it with me? I'm like, I, so. I, I, I mean, I don't have it. to. No, yeah. I don't. <laughs> I mean, you can play the Olympic card. You just like, you know. I, I suppose I could. I'm not going to do it. that. I'm yeah. Okay. <laughs> give, give someone else a try. Although, <laughs> like, I think one of the most impressive athletic feats ever is running a sub two marathon. Yeah, that's, that's pretty nuts. I guess I'm more of a, a sprinter, like gymnastics, men's gymnastics, especially is more like fast twitch sprint power. And I think like the, the four minute mile was just like, you know, mm. but I, 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 again, the appreciation for sport, the two minute marathon or the, the sub two marathon is just like, whoa, it, like wh- what are those guys running like 415, 430 miles or something to, well, to do that? You have to, right? And like you, you yeah. sit down in the cinema and the movie wouldn't be finished and he would have ran 26 <laughs> point summit miles. Yeah, it doesn't bonkers. like it. It's crazy, and then like you say, about nine something, what nine summit seconds to do hundred meters. What do you mean? Yeah. And then you you look over to the gymnastics arena, and it's just like, what do you mean? How are you able to do that? Three flips, two twists. I don't care if the floor has springs. How do you like, do that? <laughs> what? I can't do it if I'm rolling around on the floor. <laughs> you know what I mean? I get disorientated. You're like, where am I? What's going on? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. It's amazing to watch. It's amazing to see. And I'm also so excited just to see where sport goes. I'll be a fucking fan of sport until the day I die. And um, it'll be fascinating. One, the training for it. It's obviously from the coaching side. But then two, just sitting back completely stripping out all I know and enjoying the show. Um, I've just been like, wow, fair play being able to do that. That's amazing. Agreed. Agreed. Mate, I really, really, really appreciate your time. You got it, man. It was a good chat. It's always, it's always nice to talk shop and get different perspectives and ideas. And sometimes it reinforces your own and sometimes it uh, makes you think a little differently. For sure. And uh, especially with the youth, like, I mean, it seems like we think exactly the same or very similar in terms of the youth. Um, And it's always nice to, yeah, to kind of touch base with people doing the same thing, but just in different spots. At the end of the day, we are building up the 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 youth of tomorrow you know yeah um and hopefully in the healthiest way we can for them exactly and not breaking or trying to break less kids you know um and especially <laughs> <laughs> well some of them deserve it you know no i'm joking um but uh also the mental state right the mental state too like that's a, that's a huge issue at the moment like they're not only like yeah. physically breaking down or physically getting a little bit uh, less healthier at the moment. It, it, it's upstairs that we need yeah, to keep the, on. The mental, mental resilience and, and the finding the healthiest way and recognizing when things aren't healthy for them, whether it be in current sports or other life endeavors, that's, that's a pretty important one. Cause if you can, if you can recognize 
stuff that's going on, you're more likely to be able to address it, deal with it, get away from it, whatever the case is. So that's pretty important too. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. All right, mate. You is it the morning, evening? Well, uh, about noon for me. Where are you at? I am ten past six in the morning. Woke up early for me. Thank you. Oh, that's all right. I'm always up early. It's it's fine. Um, I've got I've got to go get a swimming session now. Uh, more Sweet. of a more of a recovery session, you know, and jump in the sauna so my old gotcha. knees don't hurt. <laughs> gotcha. All right, Alex. Well, good chat, man. And uh, and I'll listen to some more of your podcasts as they come out, man. Oh, thank you, mate. Take it easy. All right, man. Thank Take you very care. much. Bye.